Are you excited to see me? I've survived. You, I'm so excited that you're back and alive from your hike. Yes, I can't wait to update everyone. <laughs> well, what's All the right. update? I did not participate. <laughs> no hiking for Moga. <laughs> I just, you know what? I said, I just told them. I just told them about my bad back, my sciatica, and the youths <laughs> accepted me. of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mo Gap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. <laughs> the best part was, this is so funny. People were really debating. It was so hot. They had to go at like 7 a.m. But one of the girls came out and she she maybe wasn't going to go. She was on the fence. She comes out, just real nonchalant. She's like, ah, I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And so, <laughs> so she went. And me and another girl hung back at the house and they came in. I mean, covered in sweat. Their legs were shaking like so bad. Like they like couldn't walk. They had all these empty Gatorades. They had to like stop on the way home and get Gatorade. Some of them were avid hikers and they were like, that was absolutely terrible. At one point they were like rock climbing. <gasps> I did not regret my decision one bit. <laughs> one bit. In fact, I took a selfie at the pool <laughs> while they were gone. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. Like that sounds awful. Like a terrible way to spend your day. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, I looked down at this girl's legs, and they were, like, wobbling. Oh, my God. How long were they gone for? How long was this hike? Several hours. One of them took a picture of the sign that was like, this is a treacherous, something like, this is a treacherous hike. Expert hikers only or something. And I was like, yeah, I would have actually cried. Like, I would have cried and died. I would have cried, died at once. You would have died while crying. Yeah. That, that's got to be the worst. It, it, it was. But you will be happy to know that I did pack my athletic greens. I did oh. take them. I did. And it did help me relax by the pool. Oh, Because you know good. what? I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried about anything because I knew that I was consuming all these vitamins and minerals, no sugars, no GMOs, nothing disgusting. All up in my body. And then, of course, I did wash it all down with other things, but it was a good, it was a good reset. It helped you start your day right. <laughs> Athletic did. Greens, are you talking about that supplement that you can add to your water? And with one scoop, you get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. And adaptogens. <laughs> Love it me an adaptogen. adapt you to that pool. It sure did. It did. It was the it was the start I needed. I really feel like with all of the travel in and out of airports, I'm not eating as good. I'm like downing all the Starbucks and caffeine. And this mm -hmm. is like just a great way to make a small healthy change every day to like really get in good habits and try and like get my gut health under control, especially for wedding season, you know? <laughs> wedding season coming up. 
And this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all those things to put you right at wedding season. (laughs) Get it right. Get it tight. It also supports a better sleep quality, which I absolutely need thanks to this (sighs) podcast. (laughs) Yeah, and this episode is not going to be doing you any favors, girl. (laughs) Sorry about it. Yikes. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews, and now is the perfect time to try it out because they're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs, which is what I took with me on my trip, actually. Oh, perfect. So all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership of this offer and your help. Also, it's not a code that you put in everybody you just have to go to the site athleticgreens.com slash emerging and then it'll ask you to enter creepers pod yes that is athleticgreens.com slash e-m-e-r-g-i-n-g and it's a website you have to go to not a code but once you go to the website it'll ask you to put in creepers pod tell us we sent you there this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around stressors big and small For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. 
Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. You are struggling because it's the last week of school. Ooh, last week of school. Ugh, come. Speaking of the last week of school. It's the last week of this podcast? It's the last week of this podcast. For now, don't worry. We are taking our break. So this is your reminder. This is our last episode before we take our break. We will return on July 14th. But in the meantime, if you are just find that you just can't live without us, We will still be active on our Patreon. If you go over there, we have about nine bonus episodes. Our 10th one will drop in June, so we'll still have a bonus episode in June, and we'll have some mini creeps for you. We just dropped a mini creep on the stalking of Melissa Anelli, which has been going on for like over 10 years. So that's a really interesting story. We just did a mini creep on. If you're interested, hop on over there and sign up at patreon.com slash creepers. And if you miss us, our P.O. box will be open, so feel free to slide some scripts in the mail. Anything you want to do to alleviate Kristen's workload, she'll take it. <laughs> okay, so at first I thought you meant scripts like prescriptions. <laughs> oh, God. And I was like, oh, okay, girl. <laughs> Anything to help Kristen out? <laughs> yeah, if you want to get some... <laughs> Anti, I don't know. Some like anti-anxiety, some yeah. uh, focus. <laughs> That's the Athletic Greens. Ah, Athleticgreens.com yes, yes, yes. slash emerging. Yes, that too. Uh, hashtag ad. Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> ad. Okay, I think that's all of our... Uh, housekeeping. Housekeeping. Are you ready for this story? Not particularly. Thank you for asking. Okay, you're not ready for this. Today, I am telling you about the murder of Brianna Dennison. And I would like to give a big thank you to an episode of Unusual Suspects called Vanished in Reno. Oh, we're back to Nevada. I also want to give a big thank you to an episode of Dateline that I only read the transcript of, could not find the episode of, so just read it as well as reporting done by the Reno Gazette Journal, CBS News, and others. The full list is in the show notes. All right. Brianna Dennison was a 19-year-old psychology student at Santa Barbara City College, which, for the non-American listeners, is a gorgeous coastal town in Southern California, the other place I can't stop talking about. But this doesn't take place in Santa Barbara. No. Once again, I get to redeem myself this week because this story takes place in Reno, Nevada. I also want to redeem myself. I don't, Mm -hmm. I did not imply that Nevada is dirty. I just, in one experience, got flesh eating bacteria there. Not that. Look, that is your experience. You went there. I know. You got flesh eating bacteria. I also got a lot of other cool things. You didn't call Nevada dirty. (laughs) I know. I I also had a lot of other cool experiences there. So, you know, just want to put that out there. (laughs) We're back to Nevada where I can redeem myself because it is pronounced Nevada, not Nevada. 
Nevada, but her name is Brianna, not Brianna. So this is going to get fun. Brianna had grown up in Reno. She'd graduated from Reno High School before moving to Santa Barbara to pursue her goal of becoming a child psychologist, something she felt really passionate about. In January of 2008, the school was still on their winter break. So Brianna was back home in Reno, picking up with her high school friends like she'd never left. Her friends all say that she was the nicest person you could ever meet. Her friend Danielle said that Brianna was the person who taught her about kindness throughout her life. She oh was the type gosh. of gosh, like, will anyone I... ever say that about us? <laughs> That's like so sweet. I know. She was the type of person who would call everyone from their best friend to even just acquaintances on their birthdays. Oh. Her dad passed away when she was six, and so she and her little brother Brighton were raised by their mom, Bridget. And after their dad's death, they became like a team. Brianna looked at her mother as all she had left, and she was just as protective over her mom as her mom was over her. Her mom said she nicknamed her Breezy because she reminded her of a breath of fresh air on a cool summer day. Oh my goodness. Breezy. As Brianna got older, she and her mother and her brother all stayed close. They traveled all over the world together to places like Mexico, Jamaica, Japan, Egypt. They even lived abroad for a year in Rome with some family that they had there. How cool. I want to go to Egypt. My dad just got back from there. Okay, Byron. I know. Even when Brianna moved to Santa Barbara, they kept in close contact. Bridget was worried about her daughter constantly, as mothers do, especially being away at school, so she was really happy to have Brianna home for the winter break. There was this big event happening in Reno that weekend called SWAT, which stands for Summer Winter Action Tours. They put on events geared towards college kids. They're big in the spring break business. And this event in Reno was going to be three days of snowboarding, concerts, and parties at the casinos on the Strip in Reno. For the event, Brianna was staying at her friend KT Hunter's house because she lived just off campus at the University of Nevada, Reno. Their other friend, Jessica Deal, was staying with KT as well. Are you saying KT like letters? Yes, it is like, it's not like Katie, it's KT. According to the Dateline transcript that I read, I mean, maybe they were just like saying Katie and the transcription service was... What you call it? Spotty um, at best. <laughs> was was coding that as KT, but in this transcript it was KT and she wasn't mentioned in by name in any of the other articles and in the episode of Unusual Suspects they made up fake names for like everybody in this except for uh. like Brianna and the perp. Friday, January 18th was the kickoff day for the event. And Brianna stayed at KT's that night, but then she went back home to hang out with her mom for the day before the festivities, Saturday night. They went and watched 27 Dresses together, which they Mm -hmm. both loved. But later on, Brianna started to feel a cold coming on, and she thought maybe she shouldn't even go to the event that night. But as anyone who has ever been 19 can probably attest to, (laughs) FOMO is real, and the band playing that night was one that she really liked, so she decided she'd go. Yeah, she's going. Okay, I went to New Orleans with pneumonia. (laughs) I administered a star test with pneumonia, so (laughs) we are different. Same but different, you know. (laughs) Yeah. She told her mom that she was going to stay at KT's again that night, and she asked her if she wanted her to text her when she got home, like check in. 
But her mom said no, she knew where she'd be staying, so she told her not to worry about it. So Brianna headed over to KT's house to get ready with her and Jessica. And then the three girls took a bus to the Sands Regency Casino Hotel, where all the partying would be happening. Brianna had a few drinks, but she wasn't really a big drinker to begin with. They were all just having a really good time, but she wasn't getting drunk. And then around 2 a.m., Jessica was ready to go. Brianna and KT wanted to stay, so Jessica walked outside to get a cab to take her to KT's house. But when Jessica walked outside, she saw a car that was leaving, an SUV, and it wasn't a far drive to the house, just like three minutes down the road. So she asked this total stranger, a middle-aged man, for a ride home, and he said, sure. She says now that she is aware of how stupid this was, that she and she said she could have easily made the walk home or gotten a cab. But getting a cab wasn't as easy in 2008 as it is today to like just get an Uber. And it yeah, was I mean, freezing. you were definitely like getting a yellow taxi, not an Uber in 2008, you know? Right. But it was harder to get a yellow taxi yeah, right. than it is to like get on the Uber app and just yeah. order an Uber. And it was freezing outside, so she jumped in this guy's SUV and he took her home. She said they had a conversation on the way about how she shouldn't get in cars with strangers. Meanwhile, KT and Brianna head to a diner at the casino to get breakfast, and then around 3.30 in the morning, a friend dropped them off. The night before, Brianna and Jessica had all shared KT's queen-size bed, but it had been really crowded and uncomfortable. Plus, Brianna needed to call her boyfriend, who she'd been fighting with all night over text. Oh, yeah. So she decided to take the couch in the living room instead of sleeping upstairs with the girls. KT grabbed her some pillows and a blanket for Brianna, and then she, like, fed her dog and headed to her room and went to bed around 4 a.m. Oh, my God. Something happened to this dog. Nothing happens to the dog. Dog is fine. Okay. Telling Brianna to come get her if she needed anything. And that was the last time she saw her friend. Katie and Jessica woke up around 9 a.m. and went to the kitchen to start making breakfast. They noticed that Brianna wasn't on the couch anymore, but they figured she'd probably taken one of the other beds in the house. This was like off-campus student housing. So there were a bunch of kids that each had their private rooms, uh-huh. and people were constantly coming and going. So it wouldn't be totally out of, que- out of the question that one of the housemates maybe was heading out early in the morning, saw Brianna on the couch, and offered her their room or something like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. We, I, I've been there where you like stay on someone's couch and you're like, okay, I'm going up to your bed because you have an 8 a.m. class, you know? Yeah. It's, it's an experience I have also had. <laughs> <laughs> but when they checked the other rooms in the house, she wasn't there. She wasn't anywhere in the house. They thought maybe she'd already left, but all of her stuff was there, including her cell phone, her shoes, and her purse. There's no way she just left all the – it was winter in Reno. No way did Brianna leave without her shoes. No 19-year-old leave without her cell phone. Right. But the girls were trying not to panic. There was obviously some kind of explanation for this. So around 10 a.m., KT called Brianna's mom, Bridget. Immediately, Bridget was worried, especially when she heard that all of Brianna's stuff had been left behind. Bridget lived close to the house and told her that she was going to come over. While Katie waited for Bridget to get there, she looked around the couch Brianna had been sleeping on, and she noticed what looked like a few drops of blood on the pillow that Brianna had been sleeping on. Oh, no. This is when the panic set in for Katie. She knew that Brianna was in danger. She called Bridget back to tell her about the blood, and then she called 911. 
Soon, the house was surrounded by police cars. A search was already underway by Washoe County Search and Rescue. There were patrol cars going door to door, and friends and family of Brianna's gathered at Bridget's house, unsure of what to do. Detectives Dan Jenkins and Adam Wignanski came to KT's house and interviewed Jessica and KT, who both said they heard nothing unusual that night. There was no sign of forced entry, but the girls couldn't remember if they'd locked the front door or not. The couch sits right in front of the front door, and the way KT described the house, it operated more like an apartment complex where everyone kept their bedroom doors locked, but the shared space at the house was more like the lobby, and they generally always kept the front door unlocked in case someone forgot their key. Katie told them that the last thing she remembered was feeding her dog and seeing Brianna asleep on the couch. The girls point the detectives towards the spots of blood they'd noticed on the pillow, and the detectives see that the pillow is also stained with mascara and mucus, and they agree that the spots look like blood. To them, this is consistent with a pillow smothering someone's face with extreme force. Mm -hmm. It's looking like somebody kidnapped Brianna right out of the living room of a very busy house full of college kids without anyone noticing anything. Oh my god, why are you telling me this? I I know, I felt really bad when I realized Russell wasn't home tonight. No, don't even don't even say that. I don't even want people to know that. Look, they well, by the time this drops, Russell is now home. <laughs> <laughs> they left their front door unlocked, so don't leave your just go lock your front door. I mean, it is double locked and everybody chatter is a vicious killing machine. And that's no joke, okay? Vish Oh. I've heard I've heard the chatter stories. Vicious killing machine. These were two very experienced detectives, but it didn't take rocket scientists to realize that something terrible had happened here. The canvas of the neighborhood turned up nothing. There were no surveillance cameras, and none of the neighbors saw her. It was the middle of the night. Man, ring doorbells now. Yeah. Could be catching for real. all that. But there's like four of them on my street. Yes. Just alone. I know they whistle at you. <laughs> That's right. The dogs couldn't pick up any scent of Brianna outside the house. The FBI joined the massive search for Brianna. It seemed like the entire community turned up to help in the search. There were tons of volunteers. Some places reported about 1,700 volunteers, including Nevada's first lady at the time, Don Gibbons. There was law enforcement, dogs, helicopters, like everybody's out there looking for her. Well, here's my question, though. I was thinking back mm -hmm. to the case we did where the person was, like, taken from the car and, like, her cell phone was in the seat. And Brianna is an adult. You know, she's 19. So I wonder, like, why so quickly? Was it because there were spots of blood? Like, why so quickly did they assume it wasn't missing person that had, like, run, off, like, run away? I think because all of her stuff had been left behind. And they, I guess and they just this, made like, the right middle of choice. the night. Yeah. What are you talking about? Car and her cell phone was the left case. Behind? The case where they police they called the police and they were like, "We have to wait twenty four hours." She probably ran away, but like her phone was in the car and it oh. had nine one dialed. You're talking about Jessica Dishon. Yeah, yeah. I, don't understand I think why. it's because those police officers in her case were completely incompetent. They had that small police force. They were not like – they didn't have detectives, really. And these are very experienced detectives that can look at this and say, something's very wrong here. Her cell phone is here. Her shoes are still here. Her – like, everything is still here. 
Whereas, yeah, in that case, it was like, she probably just ran off with her boyfriend. Yeah, so they I were guess that's a bunch my of question is, like they can use their discretion in real. It's not like you have to wait 48 hours like it's up I, to. Yeah, I definitely think it's a discretion case because we see often in cases like Heyman Lee, you know, yeah. they the when she was reported missing, they responded immediately. They were immediately searching for her. So I think it's just one of those things where you look at the victim and who the victim is and you look at what the crime scene looks like or the potential crime scene looks like and you look at the circumstances that they went missing like it was the middle of the night and all of her stuff is still here but she's gone and there's blood on this pillow and we leave the door unlocked yeah and i think you know we talked last episode i think it was in the tom and jackie hawks episode about the missing person statistic where mm-hmm. you know 99.8% of missing persons are found quickly. Yeah. But the problem is, those first 24 hours, if it is that 0.2%, those first hours are so important. So it's like vital that you get a, a quick jump on it. And so you have to like look at the scene and determine yeah. if this appears to be an abduction. Uh, and this clearly appeared to be an abduction to these experienced detectives. Yes. Mm-hmm. The family went to the media and pleaded for Brianna's safe return. Her little brother, Brighton, was 15 at the time and a freshman in high school. And he said in an interview, whoever has her, I want her back. We love her. She's ours. And we want her back. Mm, 15. Bridget was holding out hope that because so many people were out there looking for her, that they were going to find her. She just kept hoping that Brianna would turn out to be one of those stories where a person was being held against their will. Someone was holding her and they would find her and she had to keep telling herself that. When there were still no signs of Brianna, search teams went to canyons, fields, rivers. They started lifting all the manhole covers and searching the sewers. All over town were pictures of Brianna and blue ribbons, her favorite color, Her brother Brighton had volunteered to help make the ribbons, and they posted them all over town. Brighton was having a really tough time. With his sister missing, their mom was keeping him extremely close. They had no idea who was a suspect, no clue if that person would come after him as well. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't allowed to go anywhere. That's got to be so hard. Like, you're devastated. You miss your sister. You want to be with your family, but then you're also like, I can't just not... Right, teenager? I don't know. I just can't imagine that. I know. Media was also constantly waiting outside their home, waiting for a comment from the family. Lori Freilich was the victim's advocate assigned to their family, and she would usually deal with the media for them, but it was still an incredibly difficult time. Test results came back from the crime scene that proved that the blood on the pillow was Brianna's, and they'd also gotten foreign DNA from the back doorknob. They eliminated all of the residents of the house from that DNA and thought maybe it could belong to whoever took Brianna. Mm -hmm. So the detectives start looking at their suspects. Their first suspect that needed to be cleared was Brianna's boyfriend. I think it's the person that gave Jessica a ride home. Well, and Jessica thinks that too, but we'll get to him in a second. The detective's first suspect that needed to be cleared was Brianna's boyfriend. He was 23, so a few years older than her, and they'd been dating for about six months, but it had been long distance ever since he had moved away to attend the University of Oregon. 
The reason the police wanted to look at him first, even though he was supposedly in Oregon at the time, was because Brianna's phone showed a string of text messages going up to 4.23 a.m. the night of the concert, and the messages were pretty angry. He seemed really upset and jealous that she had gone to this concert without him. But pretty quickly, the boyfriend was crossed off the suspect list. He was definitely in Eugene, Oregon that night. Witnesses saw him before and after the abduction. And his cell phone records backed up that he was in Oregon while he was texting her. Those cell towers, man. Well, and also, (laughs) like, he's obviously not there. He probably would have shown up or gone to the, like, he's jealous that she's at the concert without him because he's not there. You know? Right, right. I mean, I know you have to check more than that, but I just. Right. And he was there all night and he was completely devastated by her disappearance. Brianna was his first real love. The second suspect on the detective's list was this guy that Jessica had gotten a ride home from when she'd left the casino. Police figured he could have dropped Jessica off, planning to come back later. And Jessica is absolutely horrified by this theory. Because if it's true, it means that this one small, stupid decision that she thought could have put herself in danger actually led to something terrible happening to her friend. Right. At first, detectives have a tough time identifying the stranger. They start pulling surveillance tapes from the hotel they were at and the parking lot cameras. That's a beautiful thing about the girls being out at a casino that night. You know, the surveillance is top notch. And it's every corner, every angle, the parking lot, inside, outside. They want to find this stranger, but they're also trying to retrace every step Brianna took. And this security makes it pretty easy. They want to see if there's anyone else that she might have come into contact with that night that looks suspicious. Like someone like following them around or something like that, you know? Exactly. But she was at a concert and then a party at a casino and then a diner. There were hundreds of people, if not thousands of people that she came into contact with that night. It could be any of them or it could be none of them. They are able to locate the stranger and his truck on the surveillance tape and they put his picture out as well as photos of his car saying like, we're looking for this guy. And soon a local attorney called to say that he was hired by the man in the photos and he wanted to talk to police. Wait, what? A local attorney called to say that he'd been hired by the man in the photos and that he wanted to talk to police. Like hired as an attorney, sorry. Right. Not like, got it. (laughs) I was thinking like he interviewed for a job or something and then got hired. Oh! (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That guy's my boss. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. No, he'd seen his picture on the news and was like, the police are looking for me. Not That's not good. And he had called a lawyer before, like, turning himself into the police. Yeah, I'm, smart thing to do, for sure. Uh, his name was Todd Baylard. He was 42 years old and an accountant at the casino and came into the station for questioning. And right away, detectives could tell that he was really nervous. He didn't have a criminal record. Nor did he have a really good explanation for why he was out at the casino that late at night. He told police that he saw a girl shivering and he thought he was doing a good deed by offering her a ride home. He stuck to his story until police pressed him a little more. And finally, he admitted that he'd actually been in the area trying to pick up a sex worker. (laughs) I mean, He didn't want to say anything because he was married with kids and he didn't want his wife to find out. But he cooperated with police. He allowed them to search his computer, his car, his house, and they didn't find anything. 
They were thinking they might find like pictures of teenage girls or something on his laptop. Yeah. That's what he's well, into. Definitely skeevy. Right. But it seemed like he was more the blonde dominatrix type. That's that's what he was into. So I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> you don't like a good blonde dominatrix? <laughs> Moving on. They also tested his DNA against the unknown male DNA, and it was not a match. So Todd was eliminated as a suspect. But So let me get this straight. So he picked up the girl, gave her a ride, lectured her on not getting in the car with strangers, and did not... And did do not anything do anything to her. Right. Right. Okay. Was just a good deed done by a Creep. curvy guy. <laughs> yes. Right. Four days go by. Searches are still going strong, but there hasn't been any sign of her yet. Bridget was scared to death. She just kept wondering if Brianna was cold or hungry. And she just... I, I know. Detectives were now out of suspects, but not out of ideas. They figured it's pretty bold to walk into someone else's house and take someone off the couch. So whoever did this had probably done it before, or at least done something before. Right. So they started looking through past burglaries, break-ins, and sex crimes to see if anything stood out. But you have to start somewhere. Like, what if this was the person's first, and then they continue to do it after that well that's what they're saying this is a pretty bold thing to just walk into somebody's house like probably they didn't start there probably they've done something else before Um, like i don't think you're like oh i want to be a bad guy tonight and so the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to walk into a stranger's house take someone off the couch from that house yeah there's probably some kind of prior incident and they found that almost exactly a month earlier, on December 16th, 2007, there had been a violent sexual assault and abduction reported. The victim was about Brianna's age, and the crime had taken place less than 400 yards away from the house Brianna had been taken from. Oh my gosh. This victim was a badass. Her name was Emma, and she was a 22-year-old foreign exchange student who was walking from her car in the parking lot to her apartment when a man grabbed her from behind. He <sighs> threw one arm across her chest and with the other arm covered her nose and her mouth. And she struggled oh. against him, but the man was stronger than her. Her glasses broke in the struggle, but the man didn't let go until she went unconscious. When she came to, she was in a vehicle a short distance from her house, and the man was raping her. He told her not to look at him. Afterwards, he kept her underwear and drove her back to where he'd picked her up from. He told her if she told anyone, he'd come back and kill her and her whole family. But she called 911 as soon as he was out of sight. After Brianna's strange disappearance, they think maybe it was the same guy that took Brianna. They test the DNA from Emma's rape kit against the unknown DNA yeah. from the house Brianna was taken from. And it is a perfect it's a match. match. Yes. It's a match. It's a match. Because they have the rape kit still. You know why? Because they didn't get rid of it. Bunch right. Of and they'd processed it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yes. Emma never looked at the man's face, but she took in as much other information about him and the vehicle as she possibly could. She told detectives that he was a white man who was in his 20s, maybe 30. She said he was 5'9 to 6'3, somewhere in there, with tanned arms and soft hair on his chin. But she said his hands were rough and calloused. And she said that he had thick, meaty fingers. 
That's how she described them. She said he didn't smell. He spoke English clearly without an accent, and his pubic hair had been shaved. She also said she remembered seeing a little baby shoe on the floorboard of the car, like a shoe for an infant or a yeah. small child. Oh my gosh, what a badass taking it all in, mental yeah. notes, like da 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 da. Not only that, but she was able to describe the interior of the vehicle in detail. She could tell police where the that's controls. What she was staring at to have mm-hmm. an out of body experience, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure that's exactly what she was doing. She could tell police where the controls were located, the colors of the lights on the dashboard. With all of the information she gave, police were able to identify the exact make and model of the truck. It was a late model extended cab four-wheel drive Toyota Tacoma. Yes. So investigators start canvassing the area with this new information, looking for the truck and the suspect. But instead, they find another victim. (gasps) Amanda. Amanda had been watching all of the media coverage of Brianna's abduction, and she was certain the same man had attacked and assaulted her, but she had never reported it. (gasps) This happened two months before Brianna was taken on November 13th, 2007. Again, Amanda was around the same age as the others, college-aged, very petite, just like the others. Just like Emma, it was at night in a parking lot. She was returning home from an evening class when she was grabbed from behind and dragged down to the concrete in between two parked cars. He had a gun. He told her not to scream, but she screamed anyway. Her screams stopped him. They spooked him and he ran away, dropping some unopened condoms behind him. Unlike Emma, Amanda got a good look at her attacker's face. And she was able to describe him to a sketch artist. I don't know why the suspense is killing me. Like, I am, (laughs) like, I I keep moving in my seat. I know, I know. (sighs) Police learned about another incident that told them that all three of these attacks were connected. 24 hours before Brianna was taken from the living room, a man tried to break into Emma's home. Like the same Emma? The second victim, yes. Oh, like, but she'd already been raped. This is like a second. This man had raped her a month before, and then a month later, 24 hours before Brianna was taken, someone had tried to break into her home. She woke up to someone standing at the back door trying to get in. I am never, like, I'm I'm never not sharing a room with someone if I'm Emma. (laughs) Like, twice? (laughs) Are you kidding? I know. The person, well, (sighs) you know, the first time it had happened in the parking lot. Well, yeah, but who gets, like, attacked twice like that? Or, you know, potentially. they think it's the same person that tried to go back and get her, couldn't get her. So a day later, found somebody else, found the next best thing. Saw Brianna in a window, sleeping on the couch. The door was unlocked, walked in and grabbed her. I don't think I, like, until this exact moment, realized how serious it was that a man was in our dorm room over our bed. I I don't think – I mean, like, I knew, but I don't think it happened so fast, and it was – the police caught him so fast, and, like, I just don't think I realized what that could have been. Do you know what I mean? Well, and luckily you weren't alone. None of you were alone, luckily. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Why are you so – For people that don't remember – that was a college story in Mogul's yeah. dorm where some, dorm she woke room. up and somebody was standing over Our your bed or unlocked. your roommate's bed. My roommate's bed. Yeah. But they were we were all like kind of in to, line. Right. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't a huge room. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's over all three of our beds. <laughs> At the same time. But our door was yeah, unlocked. Yeah, that would be terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This person damaged the door trying to force it open into Emma's house, but he wasn't able to get in. And this was very close to the house Brianna was taken from. In fact, all of these attacks were within a four-block radius. Does he live there? Well, that's what they're thinking. They're like, I. it could go a couple of different ways. Either this guy is like hunting in his area and he knows this area well, or... Mm-hmm. He's like trying to throw everybody off and he's driving across town for all of these. So it could be one of two things. But what police now believe is that they're looking at a serial rapist and it is all the more important that they catch this guy before he can do it again. Already the community and he's escalated, you know, like now he's escalated because Brianna's still missing. Yeah. I'm surprised that he had a gun. The person screamed and he like was spooked enough to not sh- shoot and to mm-hmm. run away. And now mm-hmm. he's like kidnapped someone is what we know so far. Yes. And I also read in, I think it was in the court documents of his appeals that there actually was also a fourth attack that had happened many months earlier, but there was like no information about it. So I just kind of left it out. But Even Amanda, that was not his first try, but it seems like each time he's getting a little bolder. So Amanda screams. So instead of like, so when he goes for Emma, he doesn't give her the chance to scream. He comes at her from behind, covers her mouth until she's unconscious, and then takes her somewhere else in his truck. But then he brings her back. But with Brianna, now he's kidnapped her. He's taken her like he took Emma, but now he's not brought her back. So... The community is absolutely terrified. There's been a major spike in sales of guns, pepper spray, and tasers. University students especially were scared. It seemed like every girl on campus was now armed with at least pepper spray. Mm -hmm. One lead police wanted to pursue was sitting on a shelf at the local crime lab. There was the DNA of 3,000 convicted sex offenders that the lab didn't have the money to analyze and put into the database. Oh, this somebody better the... start a GoFundMe. Well, right now. that's exactly what they did. The governor appealed to the community and they were actually able to raise the $150,000 that they needed and then some. But it would still I can't take... believe that's all it takes. Like, I know that's a good chunk of money, but. Yeah. You can't that's, find one hundred and fifty thousand dollars somewhere in not your city like budget. Millions, it's not millions of dollars. Yeah. yeah, but it would still take weeks and weeks before the samples would all be processed. They were hoping that one of those would match the DNA that they had on Emma and Brianna. We're going to be talking about in the backlog at the end of this episode. Again, that's right? in the backlog. Yes, that's no. the backlog that we're talking about. <laughs> Everyone was holding out hope that and, – and this shows that if the communities come together, if you come together for your community, you can end the backlog in your community if you all just like – Well, here's the thing though. We have to know about it. And I think sometimes yes. like there are things that I would donate or like donate my time or re- any resource to if I knew about it. If someone said like there are 25 kits that haven't been processed in your little county – I would go do whatever I need to do to get this process. But we just aren't like, I don't think the community is like made aware enough of like, here's what we could use your help with. 
You know? One, yeah, I totally agree. Because this shows that when the community does know about it, because mm-hmm. the governor is saying, hey, we need $150,000. If everybody chips in a five, you know, if everybody chips yeah. in five bucks, we could, you know, get these, get these run and processed. And they've, and they ended that, that backlog. Yeah. Everyone was holding out hope that Brianna could be found alive. Her aunt makes sure that no one starts speaking about her in the past tense. And her mom and uncle believe with their whole heart that Brianna was being held hostage somewhere and that they would find her. On Valentine's Day, Bridget had gone on local TV and spoke directly to Brianna, telling her that she loved her, that no one was giving up on her, and that there were over a thousand people searching for her. She asked Brianna to hang in there until they could find her. But the next day, all those hopes were dashed. On Friday, February 15th, 2008, a local insurance agent in Reno was on his lunch break and walked past a vacant lot. He thought he saw a mannequin lying in a field next to a discarded Christmas tree. But as we true crime fanatics all know, it's never a mannequin. As he got closer, he realized it was a naked girl. Detectives Jenkins and Wignansky. Not even buried? Just lying there? No, just like laying there under a discarded Christmas tree. Detectives Jenkins and Wignansky responded to the call and immediately recognized the girl as Brianna. The search for Brianna Dennison was over. Everyone was absolutely devastated. They knew now that they couldn't save her, but they could find out who had killed her and get her justice. A celebration of life was held for Brianna on February 25th at the Reno Sparks Convention Center. 3,000 people attended the service to pay their respects. My goodness. And then outside, Westboro Baptist Church members were protesting her funeral. Why? But what what were they protesting at her funeral? Because she lives in Reno and... And there's gambling there, and in Nevada, sex work is legal, and... Yes. Oh, I think you mean Nevada. Nevada. (laughs) Yeah, and they're saying she's dead because of all of your sins. It got really tense, because in addition to the three protesters from Westboro Baptist, there were 150 counter-demonstrators surrounding them to keep them away from the services until police finally escorted the protesters away. But the police sergeant said that the worst that it got was... That people threw a few eggs at them. <laughs> there was only three of them. Like, yeah, there was. Just, I mean, there there's up. like twelve people in the whole organization, and Ugh. I think half of them have left now because they're like speaking out about it. Like Fred's grandkids. I don't know. Like the that maybe I don't even want to give them. I was gonna say maybe no. that should be a mini creep, but I don't even want to. <laughs> I don't know like how they came to be, but they're just loud. And they do yeah. outrageous things like protest at funerals with outrageous signs that I will not repeat. And mm. so they get attention, you know? Yeah. But I think I think the biggest thing that gets them attention is at every single place where they are, there are dozens or hundreds more on the other side fighting them, you know? Like you'll yeah. get the biker gangs that surround the – the funerals and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's the thing that like, it's like these small stories of like, yeah, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, oh, amazing. Inside at the service, her friends and family spoke about what a loving person she was, how she had such a great personality. One friend said that Brianna constantly amazed her how she could embrace all kinds of people. 
She knew people from all walks of life, and she was the glue that held them all together. Her cousin said, could anybody have asked for a prettier face and a more beautiful soul? I don't think so. But her aunt Lauren reminded everyone that this wasn't over. They still needed to find Brianna's killer and get justice for her. The investigation continued with an autopsy that was done that found that her cause and manner of death was strangulation. They determined that it was a sexually motivated crime. There were two pairs of women's underwear found intertwined near her body, and that was determined to be the murder weapon. (gasps) Oh! One of them, a pink pair, had belonged to a woman who lived at the house Brianna was taken from. I don't really have any information about who the woman was, if it was just like another housemate, but... To me, that means that he was, like, creeping around in that woman's underwear drawer before he went and smothered Brianna on the couch. The other pair was black with the pink panther on it, and they found the DNA of an unknown man on that pair, but also of an unknown woman. Which means there might be a victim they don't know about or someone else that could identify this man. Mm Mm-hmm. Police have released to the media the sketch of the suspect based on Amanda's description of him. She was that first victim that had not reported it. The first victim that we know of, anyway. The one in the car that took all the notes. No, No, the one that was in the parking lot that screamed. Yeah. Yeah. Their tip lines almost immediately were flooded, but it was mostly like ex-wives and ex-girlfriends saying, this guy looks just like my ex. They got over 4,000 leads, and most of them were bad and just led to a bunch of time being wasted as they crossed each lead off their list. But then they got one lead that sounded promising. It's a woman calling from a brothel called the Moonlight Bunny Ranch. Oh, the Moonlight Bunny Ranch. I know of that place. Yeah. Well, she tells detectives that a customer of hers was acting really weird. She says that he likes things rough. And that he liked to choke, and that he would often use women's underwear to do it. She also said that this guy confessed to being the one to kill Brianna. Oh, well. Uh, right. So here we have it. We found this that, guy. That's the, the main lead there. <laughs> right. So detectives were able to track this guy down, but he said he was innocent, and he told police that he didn't say any of that stuff about Brianna while he was at the Bunny Ranch. Police asked him for his DNA but he refused to give it over. So that's enough for me. Yeah. And they didn't have enough on him to compel a sample from him. So they were forced to release him. They asked the woman at the bunny ranch to see if she could get the guy to come back. Somehow, and I'm sure no one can figure out how, she managed to talk him into coming back. (laughs) Wow. Really twisted the arm, huh? (laughs) Right, right. This time when he left, she kept a glass that he drank out of and the used condom and handed them both to police. Mm-hmm. Why did she have the used condom? Well, because they had sex. I, I know, but <laughs> oh. do she like, can I have that, please? Oh, she she was the woman. She's not like the receptionist gal. That's like right. No, she, oh, was she was the sex worker. Yes. Oh. She, she was the one doing it. Oh. They were certain that this was their guy. I mean, everything is matching up. It all points to him. They even had the lab rush the results. Wait, can we talk about how she just, like, Mm -hmm. knowing that he was potentially a murderer, she's like, 
come back, yeah, has sex with him, back. and then like, mm-hmm. and then like, were you the, maybe yeah. nervous that he was not gonna just like leave? Well, I think they have things in place for people that just won't leave at a bunny ranch. Yeah, you know, this isn't like your motel rent by the hour. Like, I'm yeah. sure they have excellent security there. Yeah. They were so certain that he was their guy, they even had the lab rush the results. But it was not a match. What? How could Yeah, it not be? a match. And this guy got really lucky that there was DNA in this case, because I'll bet they could have made a good circumstantial case against this guy and just said it was him. Yeah. You know? I don't know why he'd go around touting that it was him if it was not. Well, you know, men say things. I know. Or people but- say things that... That's not Aren't true. I know. Yeah. They also finished processing those 3,000 samples of felon's DNA, and there was no match there either. More than two months have come and gone since Brianna was taken, and police have hit one dead end after another. Months go by. Tips start to dwindle to maybe one or two a day, and then not even that. It looked like this case was going to go cold. Oh, no. Nine months pass with nothing new in this case. And it's so frustrating because it's like they have the car. They have a description of the guy. They have his DNA. Like There's multiple victims. There's multiple victims. There's multiple witnesses. How can we not find this guy? But then a tip came in through the secret witness program, which seems to be like their version of Crime Stoppers. Mm-hmm. On November 1st, 2008, a woman had called anonymously to say that her friend had told her that she'd found some women's underwear that did not belong to her in the glove compartment of her boyfriend's truck. Detectives looked up that boyfriend. Mm -hmm. He was a 27-year-old man named James Bila. And they saw that he looked a lot like the sketch of the suspect. What kind of truck is he tooting around town in? Why wouldn't you know it? A late model extended cab four-wheel drive Toyota Tacoma. I already know. He also had a three-year-old son, which would explain that child's shoe in the truck that Emma had seen on the floorboard. Because no good Chevy owner would ever do anything like this. <laughs> they foreign, foreign-made <laughs> truck owners. That's just what happens when you start messing around with them boys. <laughs> he worked in construction, which would explain the tan lines on his arms and his calloused hands. Mm-hmm. He'd been arrested before in 2001 for threatening his ex-girlfriend's neighbor with a knife. So far, everything fit. Stand up, fella. Mm-hmm. And detectives were once again certain that they had their guy. But they would need the DNA to prove it. James Bila's house happened to be on Detective Wig- Wignansky's way home from work. It was just like a mile <laughs> or two away from his house. Like digging in the trash like a little raccoon. <laughs> like a little trash panda. Yeah. (laughs) So he stopped by the house and figured he could just talk to him and get a DNA swab. They'd run into so many brick walls. He was probably thinking, like, this is just another guy that they would end up ruling out, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not like police sketches are the most reliable evidence. Right. And Toyota Tacoma sketches those. It's not just like a random cop. Like, they have someone on, like, an artist on staff, or is it just like, 
Yeah, no, they bring in a sketch artist that like oh, knows the questions like- to ask and Okay. I don't I think maybe bigger departments might have them like on staff. I don't really but know. But it's like though. someone that they're outsourcing. They're like freelancing a sketch artist. It's not just like whatever I guys. No, I think it's available. somebody that's like trained specifically in it's not just like a good drawer. It's like somebody trained specifically in how to use like and how to get the information out of the person. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know if like I was hoping, yeah, I knew it wasn't just like a trained drawer. I was hoping it just wasn't whatever cop wasn't busy that day. Right. Yeah, no, I think that the sketch artists probably have more training than the guy that's running the lie detector test on you. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> the polygraph. Just wanted, to, just wanted to confirm. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question though. I'm sure somebody out there knows. Like, where did the yeah, sketch artists come us. from? Are they just like sitting around twiddling their thumb until like a, a witness comes in and then they're like, oh, I'm I'm back to work. Or, I got this. Or do they outsource them? They just have like, like doodles one? in their sketchbook of like other stuff. Like they're playing tic-tac-toe. Right. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Let us know if you know about sketch artists. <gasps> what if there is a sketch artist listening right now? <laughs> that would be exciting. Oh my gosh. Anyways, it's not like police sketches are always the most reliable. Apologies to any sketch artists out there. I don't mean to insult Yeah, your let craft. us see your work. We'll, we'll yeah. make a determination. Absolutely. Toyota Tacomas aren't exactly rare. And the only other thing they have on this guy is women's underwear in the glove compartment, which could easily be explained in other ways. <laughs> it, it is gross, though. But it is gross. Yeah. But James didn't answer the door, so Detective Wignansky left his card in the door, and 45 minutes later, James called him back. Wignansky told him that his name had come up in a case that he was investigating, and he wanted to talk to him about it. James told him that he wasn't in Reno right then, he was in Washington State on a construction job, but he'd be back the next day. Wignansky told him to give him a call the next day when he got back, and then they ended the call. But something about that call made him feel really strange, and it took him a minute to realize what it was. He said he turned completely white to the point where his wife asked him what was wrong, and he told her, this guy never asked me what I was investigating. Oh. Well, wait. Well, how did the call go then? Hey, your name came up in a case I'm investigating, and I want to talk to you about it. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not there right now. I'm I'm out in Washington. I'll be back in Reno tomorrow. Okay, great. Give me a call tomorrow uh, so we can talk. All right, I'll call you tomorrow. Bye. What if you if a, if a detective left their card in your door and you called them back and they said your name came up in a case I'm investigating? Wouldn't you say, "Oh my God! Like, what case are you investigating?" Where my name would come up? Yeah, hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And also, homeboy's not coming back into town. He's packing bags or something. Well, he does come back. But Wignansky went from thinking this was probably another dead end to certain that they had found their guy. And like he said, James called the next day and agreed to meet up. And one of the first things Wignansky noticed about James was that his fingers were like thick, meaty little sausages. Ew, little Vienna sausages. (laughs) Just like Emma and Amanda had described. James was really friendly at first, until Wignansky told him they were investigating the murder of Brianna Dennison. And then his body language completely changed. He Do you think he knew her name? I always I think he, that. Yeah, I think he knew who she was, because literally she's, she's now been called, like, oh. Reno's daughter. 
Her pictures yeah. everywhere. everywhere. Blue ribbons yeah, yeah, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I guess I forget about the like what's on the media. Uh-huh. But I always wonder like when they kidnap or kill someone. Like do they even know? Who that doesn't know. Is? Doesn't care. He stopped making eye contact. He started sweating. He said he had no idea who Brianna Dennison was. Did he not they- think they were going to say that when he got in there? I have no idea what this doofus thought. Wignanski told him that there was a really easy way to prove his innocence. Just give him a DNA sample. Yeah. But James refused. He told spit them to the call. Cup. Come on, spit in the just, cup. Do it. Yeah, Do it just, now. Let me get you a little, you're a little cheeky. He told them to call his girlfriend, Carlene. He said she'd give him his alibi. She'd confirm his alibi. Detectives wanted to talk to this girlfriend anyway. They'd been together, James and Carlene, for six years. They had a son together. She was the one who'd found the women's underwear in her glove yeah, didn't Carlene turn you in, homeboy? Basically? It was Carlene's friend. So she had gone oh. to her friend and been like, hey, I found women's underwear in my boyfriend's four-wheel drive extended cab Toyota Tacoma, <laughs> late model. Specifically what she said. <laughs> yes. And her friend was like, that sounds a lot like this guy. Uh, so her friend had made the the call. Or, you know, it is anonymous. It was secret witness. She could have just said it was a friend and it could have been her calling about it. Yeah. I don't know. She had confronted James about the underwear when she'd found it in the glove compartment and they'd gotten into a big fight about it. Her first thought was obviously that he was cheating on her. This is women's underwear that is not mine. Yeah, that's a but good he said, assumption. He said, no, no, no. It's not anything like that. Actually, I have a perfect excuse for this. He told her that actually he'd been watching a girl at a laundromat washing her clothes, and he saw her underwear, and he decided to steal her underwear. And honestly, I think I'd rather deal with the cheating than with the thought that my boyfriend watches girls do laundry and then steals their underwear. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I'm, like cheating is something that maybe in certain circumstances I could I could come back from, but stealing a girl's underwear from a laundromat, I'm never coming back from that. Like I could at least process cheating. Like it's right. a like, right. <laughs> I could pro yeah, I could at least process it. It's I also a find story. I wouldn't even believe the second story because I don't know any man that's going to a laundromat by himself if he's married to do the laundry. <laughs> right. So. Carlene told detectives that their relationship could be tumultuous at times. They argued a lot. He'd disappear for days at a time. All three attacks coincided with times that he'd quote unquote disappeared. He'd tell Carlene that he just slept in his truck that night. She told detectives that from March to September, he left Reno. So this is like a month after or like a a couple of weeks after Brianna's body was discovered. He left Reno to work as a pipe fitter in the state of Washington, and that on his drive to Washington, he'd stopped in Idaho and sold that Toyota Tacoma. So he didn't have it anymore. But police were able to track it down and brought it back to process it. They told Carlene that James refused to give a DNA sample, but that they could run the DNA of their son against the DNA from the crime scenes to see if it matched. And she agreed. So they took a sample from the son ran it, and the tests showed that a direct relative of the boys matched DNA recovered from Emma's rape and the house that Brianna was taken from. One, I think that's kind of so cool that they can do that if, like, the person's not cooperating. Mm -hmm. It does kind of make me sad for this, like, kid, you know, to, like, 
I don't know. You find out later that they like uh, the whole. I think that the kid is going to have to do a lot more processing of like who his dad is and what his dad has done. That he might actually that might actually help him process. Like my dad was this bad guy, but I helped catch him. I helped Mm -hmm. stop him. You know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he's going to therapy and the therapist is spinning it that way. <laughs> you know? If not, Kristen will gladly mm. be <laughs> On Tuesday, November 25th, 2008, while he was dropping his son off at daycare, James Bila was arrested on charges of murder, first-degree kidnapping, and sexual assault, and a DNA sample was collected upon his arrest. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Detective Wignanski said that it was the greatest feeling putting James under arrest, reading him his Miranda rights. In the show Unusual Suspects, Brianna's friend Jessica said that it was kind of a shock seeing James. She said that he didn't look menacing. He just looked sloppy. Ew. Yeah. That word. It's a perfect description of him, though. Yeah. He does look I can't sloppy. Wait to, I can't wait to Google image. I know people are, all kinds of people are terrible of capable things, but it always is. Harder for me when they're a parent because I'm like, you've murdered someone's child. You have mm-hmm. to love your own child, right? Like, what if someone did something to your child? Like, I don't understand how that doesn't well, just automatically uh, make you a good person. Like, my thinking is he obviously hates women. Like, clearly a serial rapist, you have some, like, you hate yeah. women. But he loves his girlfriend, Carlene. And I'm like, how do you separate? No, he doesn't. He doesn't love her if he's raping women. No, like, you're that's, totally that right. That is cheating. I mean. He, no, you're totally right. He doesn't love her, but he certainly looks at her differently than the women he's, you know, like he's committed yeah. to her. He has a son with her. They live this like, you know, nuclear family life together. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, how do you separate this person that you go home to every day and have dinner with every day? And I'm sure their sexual, I'm sure their sex is not always consensual. I have a feeling that, you know what I mean? Like, I I, I don't know, but. Yeah. Yeah. People suck. People suck. So many people suck today. James Bela certainly sucks. Detectives questioned James and he never confessed to the crime. But then. That's the least you could do at this point. I mean, seriously, the least you could do. But then Carlene is led into the, the interrogation room and she's sobbing, begging him to tell her if he did this. She asked over and over and over again, like over 30 times, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you know? And she's just crumbling. And he never once tells her that he didn't do it. Not once in this whole conversation does he say, yeah. I didn't do this. He just refuses to answer the question or says he can't tell her. She asks why, and he says, at this point, it doesn't matter. And she says, it matters to me. Oh, it definitely matters. Yeah, it definitely matters. And he says, and if I told you I did it, you'd still love me, be with me? Are you going to be with me? You're going to be in prison. Yeah. She says no, basically. But she tells him that if he didn't do this, that she will fight to prove his innocence. But she has to know. And he asks how she's going to prove his innocence. He says, with what? DNA? They have DNA. And he says it with like bunny quotes and like 
this stupid voice. They have oh. my DNA. Which he will later say was planted. Oh, really? Yeah, it was not. He says, how could I prove that I didn't do it? I also can't prove that I didn't kill JFK. And I'm like, well, you weren't alive when that happened. I was so just about say to say, that, like, wait, uh, yeah, you could. <laughs> actually, you really could prove it. Anyway, he spends this whole interaction way more concerned with whether or not Carlene is going to stay with a violent rapist and a murderer than about anything that he's actually done. James Bila's trial started in May of 2010, and it lasted for three and a half weeks. His defense was basically that it was not him and the DNA was planted. There was testimony from 60 witnesses for the prosecution that all said that he did it. The jury deliberated for around nine hours. They asked almost 100 questions before returning a guilty verdict for all counts, which included murder, kidnapping, and sexual assault. Wow. During the sentencing phase, his lawyers tried to argue against the death penalty by talking about how his childhood was abusive and his father was an alcoholic and that before he'd violently raped all these women and then killed Brianna, He'd been a productive member of society, so. Oh. Yeah. On their verdict form, jurors acknowledged that James Bila had a tough childhood while then handing out a death sentence to him. Yeah. On July 30th, 2010, the judge sentenced James Bila to four additional life sentences for the multiple counts of rape and kidnapping for the attacks on Emma and Amanda. Bila has appealed, but all his reasons are stupid, so they have all been denied. After the verdict was handed down, Bridget told a news conference that they were ready to fight. She started a foundation, the Brianna Dennison Foundation, that would work to toughen laws against offenders in an effort to prevent these crimes in the future. She said, together we lost a beautiful, vibrant, and promising life, and my family and friends have suffered unimaginable tragedy. But we can and will turn this loss into something positive and good. When James Michael Bila messed with my little girl, he messed with the wrong families, the wrong group of women, and the wrong city and state. That's right, Bridget. In the summer of 2013, Brianna's law was passed that requires that DNA from people arrested on felony charges in Nevada be collected and entered into a database. Because of this- I've heard of that. Really? I've heard of that law. Well, this is Brianna. Because of this, more than 60,000 swabs have been collected, and it has helped identify suspects in more than 1,000 crimes, including more than 100 sexual assaults. It has helped solve cold cases, including nine murders. Wow. Yeah. And that's like her legacy that she's leaving behind, you know, this law that can really help people. and. I'm sure that this law will save a life. It would also really help people if we weren't raping and murdering women. So you could help save a life by not doing that. That would be ideal. Yeah. Put us out of business. Put this podcast out of business. Yeah. That would be great. That would be great. Gen Z is going to do it. You know, they're going to change the world. (laughs) I know. They're going to make it all better. (laughs) We're counting on you. Millennials are tired. (laughs) Tired. (laughs) We're tired. Speaking of millennials, though, what's hard about this, I I just looked her up. She is gorgeous. (sighs) But these photos of her in these, like, college apartments, like, and the stuff she's wearing, I mean, because this was, we were the same age as her. We were in college, yeah. 
that like I I'm this girl. I'm wearing this like satiny jewel toned tank top mm-hmm. halter top with this eyeshadow and the eye line. I mean, like this was us, you know, the red yeah. solo cups in the background. Like this was me and you on this couch in some <laughs> apartment, you know. Oh my god, that looks exactly like a picture I have from college. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. this was us. Yeah. Like That's I crazy. had this top. It was purple. This is like the red version, but like the in mm-hmm. that like necklace. Like I was this mm-hmm. was me. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I know. She was just she wanted to be a child psychologist. I mean, it and some guy walked into her friend's house and just took her off the couch. For no good reason. For no good reason. I almost feel bad too, like when my mom and aunt and everybody would freak out about like be careful in college, like be careful, like, oh my God, I am being careful, you know, I roll. Right. It's like this is the stuff they worried about. And I just wasn't even aware. I think it's also important to point out, yes, lock your front doors, like lock your doors and all of that. But also, this is so rare. Like, don't stop living your life either, you know? And don't like live in fear. Like, be aware and lock your door, but it is so rare. So, except that it literally, <laughs> yes, it's well, happened when to you 50 think years. about when you think about the, the billions of people on the planet. Yeah, it's rare, but when it happens, it is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But I think that knowing these stories is important for several reasons. First of all. Because things like Brianna's Law can happen and we can start seeing actual change to these systems and actual change that can save lives. The, if the law had been in place then, Brianna would not have been saved. Like it would not have saved her life. But if his DNA had been on with Emma, like if, if you know what I mean, then they would yeah. have been able to catch him. So... These cases are important, too, because of things like finding out that community came together, like, mm-hmm. to get all of those, those um, uh, kits samples. tested. Yes. Yeah. Remind the people of In the Backlog. In so the Backlog.com. In the Backlog is an organization that fights to end the backlog of rape kits that we have in this country, in the United States, that is just a poor, like, it's terrible. I'm going to look it up real quick. Having a rape kit done on you after such a traumatic experience is already it, – it's being violated all over again. I mean, and then to think that you go through all of that because you're trying to be strong and you're trying to be brave and you're trying to get this person caught and then your rape kit ends up on a shelf collecting dust, never getting processed because it costs money and it takes time. And because it's so prevalent because – Rapes are happening all the time. And so there's tons of these kits. And so, and the backlog is fighting to bring about change that will force basically states to end their backlog of rape kits and process them and get them into that database. So uh, so here's just an example. I'm on in the backlog.com and they have a map. And I was just clicking around on some of the states. The map is divided by full reform, some reform, no reform. And I just obviously clicked on Texas and Ohio. but. Mm-hmm places that I'm familiar with. And I just clicked on Ohio's and I find this to be interesting. It says, as of February 2021, Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga, I always say that weird, county has tested all of the 7,026 backlog kits from 1993 to 2011. 
the efforts resulted in identification of 511 serial rapists. Oh, my God. 850 serial sex offenders and 817 indictments. Wow. Can you believe that? 511 serial rapists that have been identified (sighs) because we just were able to test the kit. Like, that's crazy. Texas well, I feel like the last time we talked about in the backlog, which was like our third episode, there was four states, and now there's only three that had no mm-hmm. reform. What does that mean, though? Exactly, that doesn't it means mean that have one no state has gotten reform since we started this podcast. No, I know, but what is the reform? Not just that they have zero, because like Texas um, that says they're full start reform, but they towards, so many. That they're going to start working towards. Oh. They have laws in place to get these kits tested. Well, currently Nevada has no untested kits, which is really exciting. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. This is interesting, too, just some of the information you can get on here. I clicked on New York because I obviously thought they would have the most, and they're listed as unknown. And it says, Joyful Heart discovered through the 2019 Rape Kit Inventory Report that some law enforcement agencies were failing to report their untested kits to the Department of Criminal Justice as required by state law. So it sounds like they're even just calling out some of the stuff that needs to be addressed, you know, and like making Mm -hmm. it accessible for the public. So this is what we're talking about. Like, be informed of what's going on in your community. There's stuff out there that you can look at and read and just know what's going on in your state. Yeah. Awesome. And the backlog. We'll have the information in our show notes. And that is, uh, that's the murder of Brianna Dennison. That's so sad. I know, I know. Do we have shout outs? Yes. In fact, I think we're going to try and get through all of our shout outs as we take our break so that, right, this will be our last little group until we come back. This will be our last group until we come back. So if you don't hear your shout out, it's because we haven't gotten your name on our chart why are you talking like a robot (laughs) oh because i'm trying to talk and read the 15 unread text messages that i got during that oh at the same time all right shout out time all right this shout out time is gonna be a little bit lengthier as we said but we want everyone to get their well-deserved shout outs because you are famous adjacent famous famous adjacent it's like that happy birthday. Happy, happy. Wait, no, we're no, adjacent. we're famous adjacent. They're famous adjacent adjacent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. We're <laughs> we're not quite you'll, famous yet. Sorry. We'll you'll get, get there. there one day. Yeah. You'll get there one day. You'll get to fa- you'll get to the famous adjacent status. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're gonna make a famous adjacent adjacent shirt. <laughs> and that's how we'll know who the OGs are is that people once we're fame once they become famous adjacent, we'll take off famous adjacent adjacent. So only <laughs> the really original right, right, right. Have the double. <laughs> okay, okay. Are you starting a start off? of our shout outs. First one up. Tori S. Thank you so much for being a patron, Tori S. Next. Oh, I sang it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> next. next thank you next jen iverson thank you so much jen iverson you're the best thanks jen next is bob e that doesn't make any sense bobby tama tamas i'm i bet she forgot the s 
Maybe that last A is supposed to be an S. Sama. Bobby, I think it's Bobby Thomas, Bobby <laughs> Thomas. Bobby Thomas with an I. Bobby Thomas, thanks so much. Also, Kate Eaton and Lily Greenig, who Lily is my cat sitter. Oh. <laughs> she watches the- my cats. They're out there wrecking her life, too. Uh, <laughs> Mo Aldrich, mom to Caitlin Blame, a Faye Bosin. Oh, my gosh. Mom in the house. She got me hooked <laughs> on you guys. Oh. Awesome. Major shouts to Ada Brazelton. Thank you, Ada oh. Brazelton. I love that. Yes. Carol. 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 Get it together, Carol. That's one of my it- favorite names, honestly, Carol. I know. You call your friend Carol that her name's not even Carol. (laughs) I know. And I did call her Carol at her wedding, like in the speech (laughs) when I was maid of honor. And I was like, people think I don't know what wedding I'm at. (laughs) They think you totally rossed it. like, I I take thee, Rachel. (laughs) Oh, sorry. This is my other maid of honor speech. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, And a major thanks to Diana B., just Who, up to the $10 level for a discount on merch. And yes, I know what I did. <laughs> oh, Diana B. You, you know what that means? The real MVP. The what? yes, I know what I did. Do you know what that means? Diana what? B is the one that sent us that mail that I opened and the confetti oh. came out. And I was like, Diana B, you know what you did. And we called her out. She knows what she did. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> Diana B, thank you so much, girl. Diana B. <laughs> Thanks for that penis confetti. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I've The amount of penis confetti I've seen in the last, like, one – the last 30 days is too much. It's well, too much. Well, you just got back from a bachelorette party, so. But now I'm getting it in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. It's your own bachelorette party. <laughs> Major shout, Stephanie Herndon. Herndon? Herndon. That's what Hern- I say. Herndon. Herndon. Major shout, Stephanie Herndon and Meg. I like her phonetic spelling is M plus egg. M M plus egg, Meg. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, M. Kimbo. Kimbo Slice in the house. Kimbo rhymes with, but not a bimbo. Hey, this Kimbo, I'm mm. not going to say her full name either, but did you teach eighth grade math at my junior high? Were you my <laughs> teacher? Let me know. Oh, my God. Surely your eighth grade math teacher did not just say... Not a bimbo. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I hope I hope it is. Yeah, me too. I already found an elementary schoolmate. Oh, that's true. You sure did. Uh, major shouts, Elizabeth Burge. Sadly, Burge is pronounced like purge. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. We adore you too, but not in a creepy way. Wait, this goes on for quite some time. Let me read I know. This. I can't. Not in a creepy way. Is that I live in, oh, Versailles, Kentucky, which I learned is Versailles, not no, Versailles. No, that's myself. impossible. I'm a teacher, Mogab. If you ever want to take a I can't bourbon see tour, go see a horse farm. Ooh. I'll go with you. Oh, my gosh. How cool is that? So Actually, cool. Versailles, Kentucky, when Kristen finally comes up and sees me and we go down to see Cocaine Bear, uh, oh which, yeah. which uh-huh. – uh-huh. I should have done this unboxing. We got cocaine bear stickers from a patron <gasps> in the mail. I'll show you. I'm going to send them to you in the mail. It's going to surprise you. She's but been we can say hi to all of our me. Kentucky peeps. Oh, yes. That would be amazing. That would be cool. We could do a little meetup or something. A little mini creep on cocaine bear. Yes. 
Big shouts to Autumn, like the season, and Foreman, like the grill. (laughs) (laughs) And it's about to be grilling season. Shouts, Autumn. Shouts, Autumn. And Katie Chavez, crying, laughing emoji face. Thanks, Katie Chavez. And Lauren Rose. That is a beautiful name. Thank you so much. Lisa. Lisa Lisa Marie. Marie. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, major shouts to Carrie, like Mary, Hopkins Isles, Isles, like an aisle. Love that. Love those three names. Thanks, Carrie and Hopkins Dina- Isles. Denise K. Denise the usual way, so not D-Nice. D-Nice. Not D-Nice K. Denise K. And Melissa. Last Melissa, but not least. Last but not least, Melissa. Major shouts to Melissa who fixed up our website for us. So truecrimecreepers.com. Go visit it. It looks a little different. It's a little nicer. (laughs) Go check it out. Thanks, Melissa, for keeping us going. Yes. (laughs) And that is all of our shout outs. That is our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we are going to be taking our break, but you can find us in the meantime on Instagram on in our Facebook discussion group. You can we'll still be in there. We will also still be on our Patreon at patreon.com slash true crime creepers. We'll have bonus content for you over there. So we You we better will... say it. You're gr- you better say Twitter. Go on. Oh I've been tweeting. yeah. And then Mogab has been getting on that Twitter machine. So she's Twitter over there machine. tweeting her little heart out. <laughs> I'm trying. And we're gonna miss you. We're gonna miss you so We're much. gonna miss you so much, but we are gonna enjoy this break. Yeah. I'll come back on July 14th when I'll have another wild story from OGAP. That's what you think. I'm, I'm never coming back. <laughs> Bye, peeps and creeps. <laughs> <laughs>